0: Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Feminifesto podcast. In this episode, Vaishnavi and I speak to Doreen Yanta, who is currently the coordinator of the Call It What It Is campaign at Women's Initiatives for Gender Justice. She is also finalising a PhD on the prevention and accountability for sexual violence in international and national systems. Before joining Women's Initiatives team, Doreen worked as a legal researcher at Amnesty International Centre for International Justice and conducted research for the Office of the Prosecutor of the Extraordinary African Chambers. She also worked as a legal advisor for Asylum Access Ecuador and interned at the Office of the Prosecution of the International Criminal Tribunal for the Former Yugoslavia.
1: Thank you so much for joining us on the Feminifesto podcast today Ms. Doreen. We're very grateful for your time and for and for you to let us feature your voice and story on our platform. To start us off, can you tell us about what set your journey in motion and what got you in-
2: well, thank you very much for having me today uh, speak with you. It's it's an honor, really. Um, well, I wish I could have a fun and passionate answer about how I got into law. Uh, but the truth is I almost went to study mathematics at the university. Um, and I actually switched to law at the very last moment without really knowing why. It's just a few years later that I actually started to realize that it was the right call. And I really liked the... Um, the concrete aspect of the law, its application, um, and its effect on justice. Um, So I don't know how it got me into law, but I know I'm really happy it happened.
0: That certainly sounds like a fun um, answer, if you will, because (laughs) I I have a more boring story about what got me into law. I just decided I would do it and I walked into it. So I I think yours is a more fun and um, active version, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so from there on, you served as a researcher for the Office of the Prosecutor of the Extraordinary African Chambers. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your experience there?
2: Um, sure. So I was offered a chance to conduct some research for the Office of the Prosecutor during the Heath case, uh, both in trial and appeal. Um, It was just a short contribution focusing on international case law, um, regarding the rights of the accused, and also regarding usual grounds of appeal before international jurisdictions. So it was mainly contribution to um, a memo um, with other researchers to be used by the prosecutor. It was very interesting research and it was also very useful for my following experience um, because so far I haven't had the chance to really focus on the right of the accused. Um, so it was really interesting to have this perspective also from the office of the prosecutor.
1: That's such an amazing journey that you took from having an unexpected detour into law, into interning at an insightful re- on a re- insightful research project. So from there, on to being a legal researcher at the Amnesty International Center for International Justice. Can you take us through your work in that role?
2: Sure. Um, So during my time with Amnesty, um, I focused on legal monitoring of ICC's ruling. And I also conducted a lot of research on topics related to cases before the ICC and also before other jurisdictions dealing with international crimes. So key issues would include, for example, sexual and gender-based violence legal aid, due process, complementarity, cooperation, and many others. Uh, most of the research, the events I attended, and the debates to which I participated focused mainly on how to fight against impunity and how to ensure accountability for those responsible of international crimes. Um, I also had um, very, very, how can I say that, passionate debates with the head of office, Matthew Canuck, who is also very passionate about international justice than with the rest of the international justice team. And a good a good example of the work um, I was doing there is my contribution and the contribution of the entire office, I mean, the, the International Justice Center to the Amnesty Report on Nigeria, which was called Willingly Enable ICC Preliminary Examination on Nigeria's Failure to Address Impunity for International Crime. Um, it was a very, very interesting uh, report on what's going on in Nigeria and what's happening in terms of justice nationally and internationally. And we accompanied this with a side event at the Assembly of State Party of the Rome Statute in December. So it was um, really interesting to go deeply into this topic.
0: That sounds like some very intense work and I can imagine it must have been uh, quite an effort for yourself and your team. can't have been easy. Um, So from there, when you went into um, the role of a legal advisor at the Office of the Prosecution, the ICTY. Uh, So that must have been huge given that both the ICTY and the ICTR were very formative milestones in international criminal law. So can you tell us about your work there and what you felt like when you were part of such a huge process?
2: So this was actually my very first concrete experience into international justice. Um, That's where I started as a legal intern. Um, So it was actually before the two others, but it was indeed very impressive knowing the big role the the ICT world played and was still playing at the time into uh, international criminal law and justice. Um, I worked with a very dedicated and experienced lawyers uh, who deeply inspired me to pursue in this field. It was as as I said, very impressive. And as a legal intern, my work at the tribunal was mainly to assist trial turners on drafting motions, pre-trial and final briefs, preparing witnesses and evidence for trial, uh, perform research on comparative and international criminal law. Um, I also assisted um, within the courtroom. So I was uh, in the courtroom during the presentation of the lawyers. Um, so in the Mladic case, it was really, again, impressive and interesting. Learn a lot about how it works inside of a courtroom, um, all the preparation before and after a witness is, um, yeah, witness is talking, um, and the amount of work done within the tribunal, and all tribunals like the ICTY is really enormous. Um, this is really in order to hold, um, really necessary in order to hold perpetrators such as Ladich, who was also known as uh, the butchers of the Balkan, um, to hold them accountable for their crimes.
1: Indeed, the ICTY and the ICTR are landmark international legal processes. And it's so wonderful to know that you gained experience within the courtroom as well. And I can imagine how fascinating that must have been for you as a budding lawyer. So thank you so much for taking us. Thank you so much for taking us through those experiences. So going a little deeper into your role as a researcher and in multiple roles that too, dealing with international criminal law, uh, we'd like to ask you what have been some of your key observations in the field? Well, um, it is
2: a bit hard to flag only some key observations, but I would mainly mention two, I guess. One would be um, that international criminal law and justice can lead to great accomplishment, but can also be very a very frustrating field. Um, I guess the best example is the ICC. it's a very It has a very progressive statute has led to more domestic prosecutions of international crimes, has a very great potential to convict perpetrators for their crimes, but at the same time it has also rendered some very frustrating decision, just to name one the one to refuse to open an investigation in Afghanistan. So this is one, one observation the, the, the this double effect that is at the same time a very big potential for great accomplishment and, and justice and accountability and on the other side a very, very frustrating field when it doesn't lead to that. And my second point I guess would be that international criminal law should not be restricted to international jurisdiction in order to be effective. Um, it is very important. If international justice plays a very important role, it should only be complementary and it is absolutely fundamental that domestic jurisdiction be the first actors of justice. Um, For that, international criminal law has to be translated within national legislations.
1: It's particularly interesting to note how the ICC can be seen as a double-edged sword in terms of justice and accountability. So moving on to a a slight tangent, can you tell us about your role as a campaign coordinator with Women in Gender Justice and the Call It What It Is campaign?
2: Yeah, so if you allow me maybe a few words about the campaign first. Um, again, jumping from what I just said, the Rome Statute is the, the first international criminal instrument to expressly include crimes of sexual violence, so very progressive. However, it does not sufficiently define the term sexual violence and doesn't give specific examples of acts that could be such sexual violence and that that could be qualified as any other forms of sexual violence of comparable gravity, which is one of the crimes uh, within the Rome Statute. And this is why we started the Call It What It Is campaign. And we decided to call on the collective strength of the civil society to give survivors of sexual, uh, sexual co- violence, sorry, Um, a voice in shaping a contemporary, victim-centric and contextually relevant guidance of what makes a violence sexual. My role in the campaign is quite broad. Um, I'm coordinating the process, participating in the drafting of those guidance, exchanging comments with international and national experts, participating and organizing different events on sexual violence, so it's quite uh, broad and diverse, and I'm closely working with the other members of the team on making sure that this campaign will have a great impact on the fights against immunity for impunity, sorry, for sexual violence. Um, I guess we are trying as much as we can to include survivors, um, which is our, um, our goal in the campaign.
0: And that sounds absolutely comprehensive. And I really love the fact that you called it, call it what it is, because uh, we get so caught up in the certain in certain directions when we pursue jargon, and it's amazing that you've decided to put it out there for what it is actually. Thank you. <laughs> so So, as Paul Kirby actually puts it, uh, feminist accounts of wartime rape or sexual violence talk about three ways of explaining it. There's instrumentality, there's unreason or mythology. And then you have scholars like Bar and Stern who say rape is either opportunistic or strategic. And then you have Margaret Urban Walker who's mapped out a whole series of avenues that explain um, sexual violence and rape and conflict. So I'd love to know what um, this initiative, call it what it is, defines sexual violence or rape as in armed conflict.
2: So the way we see it is sexual violence in conflict could hardly be explained in a simple way. Uh, this violence a different purposes to perpetrators, take different forms, and have different consequences. Uh, what is sure, however, is that it has been at the center of the war since forever. Um, it is only because it was considered as opportunistic that it wasn't dealt with until recently, uh, when it started to be considered as more strategical, so to use, for example, the, um, the views of Baz and Stern. Um, but I would say it goes beyond that. Uh, sexual violence is a very form, very complex form of violence. It is humiliation, domination, harm, destruction, and beyond that. It is deeply rooted in society and does not appear with war. This is a very important part that fits within your question and our campaign. Sexual violence, including rape, cannot be explained in its relation to war only because war only exacerbates exacerbate this violence which existed way before this conflict and surely we keep happening after so with the call it what it is campaign and um, this guidance that we want to adopt we're even though our hashtag is time to define it will not be a concrete definition because we don't think it is possible because sexual violence is is a moving violence it evolves all the time and i guess we all agree that the creativity of the human being is quite impressive in in terms of violence so we would not be able to properly define it or explain it but we're trying to give guidance to understand in the views of survivors and also practitioners what it means what what is a, a sexual violence?
0: It's phenomenal that you've actually kept the door open for um, the dynamism, and I love the way that you defined it as the creativity of humankind when it comes to violence. Um, this this really reflects on something that's been on my mind about the Women, Peace and Security agenda, um, particularly through resolutions thirteen twenty five and now to twenty four sixty seven. Do you do you believe that? these resolutions are serving the purpose of the agenda itself um, and what are some of the gaps you see having practiced in all these areas of your work so far
2: um, for resolution 1325 it was a really great accomplishment and very needed at the time it offered a great framework to improvement in the area of peace and security by encouraging a better gender balance and it surely helped and still helped not to forget the role played by women in conflict resolution um, the only thing is, as often between theory and practice, there are some gaps indeed, and I think the main gap is how do we meaningfully include women um, that would not otherwise be at the table. Um, let's say resolution 1325 should not be read as pushing for women to be included just because they're to the female gender or biological sex, but women included in the negotiation, the debates, the thinking, the policy making should be women engaged in the conflict or the situation of concern, women affected by it, survivors, leaders, any woman because they are women. So I think that would be one of the main gap. And um, regarding the last resolution that you mentioned, um, I think it is a really great accomplishment. Again, it's it's a new step, very needed, and and I'm I look forward to see how it's applied. It's I think a bit too early yet to have a critical view on it. But um, although I'm a bit sad that um, there was so many issues around reproductive rights, I think it's a good document and I'm looking forward to see how it's applied.
1: Absolutely. And um, I completely agree with your point about uh, the need for meaningful implementation of women in the Women, Peace and Security agenda and not just for the sake of it. So one of the other common gaps as noted in resolution 1325 and the subsequent resolutions is the equation of gender issues to women issues and the idea of making war safer for women instead of calling for the end of war or demilitarization altogether. So do, do you believe that legal practice can overcome this? Um, so I think your question
2: raised different points if I may. The first the point would be the equation of gender issues to women issues. Um, if it is crucial to recognize the particular vulnerability affecting women in most of the conflict-related situations and beyond, through ancestral inequality and discrimination, gender issues are synonyms. Uh, women's issues are gender issues, definitely, but gender issues would apply equally to women and girls, boys, and other people who do not identify with the binary system. Um, the second point is related to war safer for women instead of calling their for demilitarization. Um, I quite disagree with the instead of, and I would rather use the aside from or in complement with, because I think the idea is more to underline that we should try as much as possible to create assailants um, during this very unstable and terrible context. So I don't think it's one or the other, but more how we can use them to complement each other. Um, and finally... Regarding your question, I do think legal practice can definitely play a role to overcome this. Here is also, I would say, education, training, change of practices and mentalities, um, adopting legislation efficient, um, I think, if people understand what it means and why there is a need for change.
0: That was powerful. And I, and I like the fact that you looked at it as aside from and complementary too. And I stand corrected with that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, So, onward to the last question. So, between your experience in the ICTY and African chambers, what are your thoughts on transitional justice? Do you think that an international court or a hybrid court would serve a greater purpose than, say, maybe a kakaka style system as it was in Rwanda?
2: Um, So, again, I'm sorry, I will not have a straight answer. (laughs) I think all systems, either domestic or international and hybrid, have a role to them, because they all have different advantages and disadvantages. Um, If we talk about justice, about truth recognition, about reparation, um, it is true that domestic responses are more likely to be culturally sensitive, adapted, and closer to the survivors, so more reachable and comprehensive. But this is the theory, though. Uh, in practice, again, these responses might also be more corrupted, focused on one side, um, exclude certain type of victims based on inadequate legislation or based on stero- stereotypes of fear. Um, so sexual violence here, again, is, is a good example. Um, and that is where international and hybrid courts have a greater advantages, I would say. Um, they are supposed to be more neutral and apply international standards. Um, so, I guess again, sorry, I don't have a clear answer to your question, but I think the key is more how these different systems can complement each other in order to provide the best form of transitional justice rather than which one is the best.
1: All right, thank you so much for your time, Miss Doreen. And I think I speak for both Kiti and all of our listeners that we've learned so much today about international justice, the complementary processes, the ICTY, the ICTR, and all of the amazing work that you, you're doing and that you're currently about to embark on. So thank you so much for your time. Well,
2: thank you for uh, allowing me to have this discussion with you.